Calling all bold female entrepreneurs. Did you know that Madame Clicquot, the namesake behind champagne brand Veuve Clicquot, was a fierce feminist? In 1805, Barbe Nicole Clicquot Ponsardin took over her deceased husband's champagne business, which was unheard of at the time, and turned a family business into the global brand that we know and love today. In celebration of her entrepreneurial spirit, Veuve Clicquot has launched their Bold Woman Awards, formerly the Veuve Clicquot Businesswoman Award, which has celebrated over 350 female leaders over the past 50 years. And entries are now open from now until December 31st, 2020. There are major bragging rights up for grabs, as well as a trip to France once the pandemic is over. These days, we need to find as many ways to celebrate as we can, and this is definitely one reason too. Head to the link in our episode description to read more details and apply. Yeah, it's pretty hard to be an entrepreneur and be a pessimist. I think it's, I think, I think that those two words probably don't go hand in hand. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? These days, it's hard not to feel a little cynical about, well, everything. 2020 especially has thrown some serious curveballs away. From environmental issues to murder hornets, remember those? To civil rights protests, political instability, and a global pandemic to top it off, this year has been rough. So how important is optimism in a time like this? One could argue that entrepreneurs are inherently optimistic given the nature of the business. When you experience the amount of hurdles, failure, and uphill battles that entrepreneurs face, there's no option but to look at the world as half full, to be hopeful and have conviction in your vision in order to see you through the motions. It takes resilience, and oftentimes blind faith, to lead the life of an entrepreneur. On this episode, I'm speaking with one of today's most respected entrepreneurs, Arlene Dickinson, who understands this very well. Arlene is a prolific business person and one of Canada's leading voices in entrepreneurship. When I think of the business community, she is no doubt one of the people that come to mind, which may be due to the fact that she's been a mainstay on CBC's Dragon's Den for over 12 seasons, is a best-selling author and has her own podcast, Reinvention, where she speaks with other leaders about how they reinvented themselves and what they've learned along the way. All this on top of running a hugely successful venture capital firm called District Ventures Capital. Suffice to say, Arlene knows a thing or two about resilience and hope. On today's episode, we chat with Arlene about reinvention, mental health, and the importance of optimism as an entrepreneur. Okay, Arlene, I'm so happy to have you on our podcast. Um, I've followed your career throughout the years, and of course, I've seen you on Dragon's Den, and so I'm so excited to be speaking with you today. How have you been? I've been really well, Lance, and I'm excited to speak with you as well. I mean, it's been uh, interesting times, to say the least, but it's always great because I'm finding that I'm having really good conversations with people, which I was kind of getting away from. We were shorthanding our way through everything instead of really talking to people, so I find conversation has come back. 
Absolutely. I think conversation, one-on-one conversations and conversations that are not limited to being physically in front of people, which, you know, I do miss that. I wish we could be having this interview in person, but I'm happy to be doing so uh, and connecting and speaking to you for the first time through through my computer, at least. Yeah, me too. So when I was doing my research to prepare for this interview, I went through some of your social media accounts as, you know, it's a platform that you're very vocal and active on. And there was a tweet that stood out to me And you said, quote, there's so much good out there. Look for the good in people. It too is contagious and spreads easily human to human. So let's start there. Do you consider yourself an optimistic person? For sure I am. I mean, I, I for many years, I characterized myself as a pragmatic optimist, but I actually just would take away the pragmatic side of it now and just talk about trying to be optimistic. It's, it's so important in today's world. And as in particular, I think, Lance, as you think about and I know we're going to talk about this, but about reinventing yourself. I, I think you have to have an outlook that says anything is possible. And and I know you're from Alberta. And then when you think back to the Calgary floods that happened seven years ago now, and that pretty much almost decimated my marketing company venture communications. And that was a period of time in my life where I just thought, you know, I've been, I've been working for 30 years and this had this business. It was one of the businesses I was involved in at that section of my life. And and I thought, you know, 30 years later of running a business and a flood happens and maybe you just shut it all down and you just carry on with everything else you're doing, Arlene. And it was my optimism and my real desire to reinvent that business that actually helped me reframe it in a way that helped other entrepreneurs. So I think you know, to transition it from a traditional marketing communications agency into one that focused on entrepreneurs and now transitioning again as a reinvention of that industry of that business venture into a marketing firm that's focusing on helping companies in the health and food and uh, wellness space. I think if I hadn't been optimistic seven years ago when that disaster hit, I wouldn't be able to now say that we're helping hundreds and hundreds of companies not only do better, but employ thousands of people and put hundreds of millions of dollars into the economy. So that little bit of optimism and digging deep and working hard seven years ago has helped me reinvent a company several times into something that now is really, I think, well positioned to do amazing things in in North America. Right, right. Global pandemic aside and Uh, political instability aside. And if we're just looking at just the culture on entrepreneurship, do you think your career as an entrepreneur has, you know, conditioned you to look at things as a little bit more glass half full? Do you think that being an entrepreneur requires you to inherently be optimistic? Yeah, it's pretty hard to be an entrepreneur and be a pessimist. I think it's I think I think that those two words probably don't go hand in hand. And if they if you are pessimistic and you're an entrepreneur, then you likely aren't going to have the resiliency and the ability to reinvent as well as the tenacity and persistence that you need to be able to grow a business. And so yes, I think you op- optimism would be a character trait that you would probably find quite heavily in entrepreneurs, that, which is not to say that they're big risk takers without need. They're, I think they're calculated risk takers. How would you make the distinction between optimism, cautious optimism or pragmatic optimism and realism, especially within the context of today's landscape? Well, when you're running a business, you have to be optimistic that things are going to turn out well, but you have to be realist around what the current conditions are and measuring what is happening so that you can actually act on the conditions, right? So you have to be optimistic about outcomes and about being able to get through challenging times, but you have to be a realist as it relates to 
your assessment of the situation, how you're going to deal with the situation and what potential outcomes might look like. So I think it's a balance. Realism is being realistic can lead to pessimism, but I think really all it is is saying, okay, what exactly is happening and not fooling yourself into believing it's something better than it is or worse than it is, but being able to recognize it for exactly what it is. That's to me being realistic. And being open to possibilities, whether that's a good possibility or or a negative one. And so obviously, you know, collectively, we're all trying to get through COVID, a global pandemic, through political instability that we're seeing with our neighbors down south, as well as in a few other spots around the world. There's a lot of volatility in the business community. How have you been able to harness optimism and use that as a mechanism to help you cope through all of this. I know that these are things that you're you know, vocal about and you talk a lot about on social media, you know, your experiences, experiences navigating these things. So how, how have you been able to harness that sense of optimism? I think there's two sides to the question you're asked. And I, I, from a personal perspective, the last year I've experienced a level of anxiety that I've never had in my life. And so, you know, I was one of those people that didn't really understand anxiety. I, I have my entire life had, you know, panic attacks at night where I'll wake up in the middle of the night having a panic attack. And I kind of have been used to that. I get them periodically throughout my life. But then in the last year, I've had anxiety at a different time. It could be right before bedtime where I'm just laying there feeling anxious and concerned about things. And I'll have my heart will race and I, you get this pending sense of doom. And, and I describe it because I think for your listeners that are out there, I think it's really important to understand that what you see on people's outside is not necessarily what they're experiencing inside. And so for me, how I started to deal with that is trying to understand it more effectively and using things like exercise. Uh, you know, I'm really lucky I have a Peloton bike, which frankly has kept me not only help my mental health, but help my physical health. And then the Calm app when I'm anxious and, and also reading about it, understanding it more effectively, trying to control it more than letting it control me. And, and these are things I think that I was able to work through, but Trust me, if I felt that I wasn't able to manage it, I would have no issue going to get either medical or whether it's uh, medical help in terms of whatever relief I needed to get so I could manage it more effectively or going to a psychologist to, you know, get some support in terms of just managing through it. But I think we all have to figure out what is going to work for us and not let these things overwhelm us. And it's very easy right now to get lost in this fear and anxiety that we're all feeling. We all feel it. And so I guess, sorry, it's a very long answer, because, but I think this is a very interesting topic right now. And mental health is critical to us being able to survive for the next year as this pandemic continues and takes its course until a vaccine is found, until the marketplace is able to not only adapt from a, how do we operate, like literally how do we operate as a, as a country to how do we survive as individuals. I think until that happens, we've got to figure out how to stay optimistic and mentally well. And that requires work and effort on our own part. You know, one thing that I have found to be incredibly helpful personally is being able to zoom in and out when needed. You know, when things, when I find things are overwhelming, I'd like to focus on just putting one foot in front of the other in order to get to where you have to go and focus more on the micro. And then in other instances where I feel that I've lost a sense of purpose or something, I've found it helpful to zoom out and look at things from a big picture standpoint and see if things are really as big of a deal as they seem. Do you have any 
personal mantras or any kind of thought processes that you use that you found to be helpful to give you perspective and help you with managing your mental health in that regard? Yes. In my book, Reinvention, I I do touch on four kind of steps you can take and, and how you can actually think about reinventing yourself and managing through stress and change very process-like and because there is a process to it. And the, the first thing I always talk about is being able, it's counterintuitive. It's looking backwards. It's kind of looking back at your life and thinking about the lessons you've learned in your life, not to look back to beat yourself up or to somehow revisit you know, things that you did wrong, but to look back to, to learn about where you've come from. And then the next thing I talk about is this notion of what is your core purpose? Figuring out what your why is. I think many of us get so stuck doing things every day without really understanding why we're doing them or we're doing them for the wrong reasons. And so figuring out your why to me is much more important than saying, follow your passion. I mean, follow your passion. Sure. But I really think if you're following your purpose and you understand what your why is and why you get out of bed every day, that actually leads to your passion. It actually leads to making you feel like you're accomplishing something with your life. It actually leads to having people understand kind of your core values and who you are and centers you. And then the next thing I talk about is currency, figuring out what it is you're good at. And, and you know what, Lance, everybody's good at something. Everybody, we all have skills and talents that we can apply and maybe they're not the same as everybody else's. And thankfully they aren't, we're all very different people. So there's that. And then figuring out what that is and what your skill is. And then finally thinking about the context of the world, what's going on around you, what's happening today. How do you take your past and your why and what you're good at and apply it in today's world? And when you have those things kind of running for you and thinking about them practically, then it changes your mindset into thinking about what's possible instead of feeling stuck in what's happening right now. And then just, I just want to kind of add to the other part of the question you asked me, because I gave you a very personal answer around how do I deal with anxiety? You know, I've got things I do, but I also have processes I follow. And then the second half of that is professionally. I think how you deal with being stuck or feeling how do I get out of where I am is to think about exactly the same four things I just went through and, and how do you take what your company is good at and reapply it in a different world. And, and I'll use venture as an example. You know, we we're really good at understanding how consumer goods companies grow and build their businesses. And we're really good at helping brands build themselves out. And we're really good at understanding how to apply creativity so that we can help companies become competitive and stay equitable in a marketplace. And how do you apply that in today's world? Well, then you think about what's happening in the world where consumer goods, where we're thinking about more what we're eating, we're thinking about what's going on in the agricultural sectors, we're thinking about our health in a different way and what we're actually feeling. So helping companies in that space using our skill set makes so much sense to me because we know about those types of companies. And in today's world, in the context of today's world, helping consumer goods companies grow is a huge opportunity. So we have reinvented ourselves to take advantage of what I think is 
Canada's next economic opportunity um, in a major way, which is focusing on helping agricultural and health companies to build themselves. And so you can always reinvent yourself if you think about what you're good at and apply it against what the market needs. It's a great segue into my next question, because, you know, you have a book as well as a podcast that focuses on reinvention, which I think is very topical and relevant in a time where we're seeing a lot of macro and micro shifts in business and culture, you know, adding to what you said. So what does reinvention mean to you and how do you define it within the context of your own experience and also that of the guests that you've brought on to your, your podcast? What I have found in speaking to the guests that I have had on my podcast is that almost every single one of them, well, in fact, every single one of them has had some moment or something in their life that has impacted them in a way that's had them kind of reassess who they are and what they want from their lives. And I've learned so much from it, Lance. Like just talking, I, I literally this week um, coming out, I talked to Paul Langlois, who is one of the musicians from The Tragically Hip who was Gordowney's best friend as well. He spoke to me about the death of Gordowney and going through his illness and, and how that not only did it alter the band and band obviously will never perform as the hip again, but it helped him kind of reassess what he wants and who he is. And generally it is moments like that, whether it's, you know, somebody's untimely death, whether it's an illness in the family, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a loss of a job, whether it's something happening that you didn't foresee in terms of somebody needing something from you from a family perspective, you know, you have to take care of your seniors, parents, etc. Anything like that, that actually causes you to stop in your life and reassess where you are is generally when people reinvent themselves. And I would like to challenge people to say, don't wait for those moments to think about who you are and what you want from life. Take the time to work on yourself and to think about who you are, where you've come from, what you're good at and what you can do and use that to figure out a path forward. And I, I'd say if you wait for a disaster or something unfortunate to happen to really assess yourself, then you've probably lost an opportunity to live the life you really want to live earlier than you end up doing it because somebody forced you to. So does reinvention have to be a radical change? How do we separate a revolution of ourselves that is our professional and our personal identities from an evolution of ourselves? Or are they the same in your view or kind of on a spectrum? I think they're on a spectrum. I think, you know, I, I like the word you said about evolution. I think we can evolve as humans and we do evolve as humans, you know, whether we want to or not, we evolve by nature of time passing, by nature of experiences that we've had, by nature of the world we live in, right? But I don't think of that as reinvention. I think of that as maybe, as you said, it's on the continuum. It is really part of reinventing. You you have to have life experiences in order to reinvent. But I think reinvention is a total recall. <laughs> it's, it is a bit of a, it's a bit of a, what's the old thing? Alt, control, delete that we used to do on computers. <laughs> like it's a little bit Yeah, or a factory reset. Right? It's a factory reset, but you know, the system is still there, right? We're resetting kind of how we see the, how it works, but we're not losing you know, the operating system, we're not losing kind of sight of who we are, but we are rebooting ourselves so that we can work more effectively. So I would, it's probably a bad analogy, but I think that reinvention is, it's not like, oh, I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to start exercising or I'm going to, to me, that's self-improvement uh, and very important, but 
that's not reinventing yourself. That's because reinvention requires a mental shift in kind of who, how you see yourself and who you want to be. And I guess, you know, yes, losing weight could be part of that or getting fit could be part of that, but it's not a total, it's not a total reset. Does reinvention in your perspective always, is it always a conscious decision or what are the different ways that you've seen it manifested across the guests that you have, uh, have had on the show as well as your own personal experience? I would say in business, it is a conscious decision. Absolutely. Professionally for businesses, reinvention is something that you set out to do. It's not something that gradually happens. It's not something that accidentally happens. It's, it's something that you're purposeful about. And I would say probably for personal reinvention, it, it's the same. I think you have to be purposeful about it. I think you have to really want to do it because you can't just wake up and say, oh, tomorrow I'm going to be blah, whatever this is, you know, fill in the blank and expect it to happen. You have to put in the hard work and in order to put in the hard work, you have to be purposeful. Sometimes we come to a point in our lives where we question whether we're on the right path. It's a moment that many of us can probably relate to and identify, possibly on multiple occasions. Am I doing the right thing? Did I make the right decision? Should I have pursued something else? Why did I start a career in this industry? Sometimes it's a matter of reminding ourselves to stay the course, and other times it can result in a dramatic left turn, a drastic conscious decision to reinvent ourselves. Arlene's latest book and podcast focuses on just that, reinvention. She's interviewed everyone from gold medal Olympian Tessa Virtue to Grammy Award winner Katie Lang about what it means to ultimately rediscover yourself, your values, and your potential. What are some of the favorite stories that you've come across with reinvention on your podcast? And I guess just in your life in general, have there been any that have particularly stuck out and spoke to you? Yeah, I mean, just going back through my guests, you know, like Tessa Virtue, who's a, a Olympian gold medal winning figure skating dancer, who had a career in sports and athleticism, who now is going to university and wants to become an entrepreneur. I mean, that's a complete reinvention. Uh, you take people like Rex Hupke, who I spoke with, who's a journalist with the Chicago Tribune, who started off as a chemical engineer and, and was writing on the side for fun because it's what he liked to do. And then realized that what his purpose was and his passion was, was to be a journalist and help inform people and stop being a chemical engineer to go and do that. You talk about, um, gee, I, I can just uh, just go down the list. Almost everybody I spoke to on my podcast has had a major story of reinvention. And I, and I mean, I, of course, my favorite story of reinvention is, frankly, is venture and, and what we've done with it. I mean, to me, to me, to change a business that's in a very traditional industry around really shifting it to something that I think is going to have a huge impact in our nation around agricultural and health companies, that's exciting. And I, I feel so proud of that. So, yeah, I can't not mention that, too. Of course. Tessa's a really interesting example, too, because we had Tessa Virtue on our cover last year. And I think it's so interesting to speak with athletes because so much of their formative years are dedicated towards this like one crystal clear purpose. And that's just getting on the podium, uh, being the best in, you know, in the sport that you are in. And then once you're done, 
I mean, you're still so young and you have this whole lifetime ahead of you. You're still in your 20s or early 30s. And it's just you like retired that career so early. And so I think, you know, her career trajectory has been so interesting because she basically hit the pinnacle of her career and got to the very top of what she did there um, skating. And now using the lessons that she's learned along the way, because obviously you have to have so much focus and determination and commitment to be an athlete and, and an Olympian and channeled and harnessed that towards building up a personal brand and being able to navigate business decisions and things. I just, I think that that's been such an interesting thing to see. And I have to say, when we put that story out, I have never seen a fan response uh, quite like the fandom behind Tessa Virtue. Oh my goodness. We have people like, tweeting and messaging us and asking for mail copies from Japan, like from all over the world. It was quite uh, remarkable. So as you're talking, I'm thinking about and I don't know if you know, Steve Jenkins, who is one of the dads of Esther, the Wonder Pig. You know, you want to talk about reinvention. Have you ever followed Esther, the Wonder Pig? I, I have not. I'm not too familiar, but I'm fascinated. <laughs> you have to follow Esther the Wonder Pig on Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter. Stephen is and his partner, Derek. Uh, Derek was a musician, uh, sorry, a magician. And Steve was a realtor and they fell in love and they got together. And one day Steve went out to buy what he thought was a small tea pig uh, for Derek as a gift. He brought it home and only to find out that this little pig was actually going to become an 800 pound pig. And so they have, they completely reinvented themselves. They have become activists for animal rights. They have a sanctuary now where they, they raise and help um, abandoned animals. They spread messages of love and peace and goodwill for the LGBTQ community. They have completely changed their life and they changed their life because they found purpose in caring for animals and, and particularly for Esther, who's this fabulous pig that I got a chance to meet. Who's She smiles. She she, she actually, you feel like she's talking to you, but it's them that have reinvented themselves as people. And then, and then I think about Tarek Haddad, who I had on my podcast, who was a Syrian refugee who came to Canada. Oh my goodness, what a story. Yeah, his story is incredible. Right? Of reinvention. You talk about reinventing yourself. It, it's just phenomenal. And, and, and I love that he's using food and chocolate, something that people love as a mechanism to spread a message of tolerance and peace. Again, you know, reinvention can be something that just lets you express yourself in a new way. And, and, and I, and I keep coming back to this notion that mental health and food and taking care of each other is central to what the world is going through right now. And, and Canada can be very successful in that. And these individuals are proof of that. I mean, it seems like a common denominator is this recalibration of purpose once you've kind of take a pivot or take a, a left turn or a right turn that diverts from the path that you were on before. Now, bringing us up to speed to everything that's going on today, how have you seen reinvention manifested as a result of the pandemic? Well, I think the country is reinventing itself in many respects. I mean, as I said to you, I think that the between the pandemic and global warming and there's increased barriers to international trade, there's a lot of pressure on supply chain for Canada's agricultural sector. So I'll use that as a, as a great example, right? The, the sector is adapting because of the pandemic to becoming more self-reliant and responding to this increased demand for more homegrown types of food. So we see 
an emerging opportunity in agriculture that wasn't there before. And the, the business and the industry is really reinventing itself to shift to actually answering what consumers now want. And you're seeing it real time. You're seeing supply chains being managed differently. You're seeing the types of food and product that we're consuming being managed differently. You're seeing less of the private labels and stores being more about these interesting artisanal types of brands that are, you know, grown and produced right in our backyard and people craving that. And so there's a sector that I think is really going through a reinvention and doing it in a response to a pandemic. Circling back to our earlier conversation around mental health, you've obviously been a big advocate of mental health awareness. And earlier this year, as Canada was about to enter quarantine, you said that Canada is, faces an epidemic of mental health issues. How have you seen those mental health issues intersect with our conversations around business and the culture of work now that we've had a few months or, you know, the majority of the year to navigate quarantine and a pandemic? How have you seen those conversations intersect with mental health? I would say there's two words that immediately came to mind when you said that. And the first word was empathy. I think leaders have got to demonstrate an empathy that in the past might have been seen as a weakness. And I would say not that men aren't good at this, but I do believe that female leaders are already very good at and potentially having more empathy and understanding of what's going on with their teams. But I would say in general, all leaders have got to recalibrate their ability to empathize what their team is going through, because you don't know the mental health concerns that each of your team have had. And in the past, many times that was hidden by them because they didn't want to be vulnerable and expose to anybody what they were going through. And, and that hasn't changed. People still don't like to talk about the struggles they have. But if ever there was a time for us to be hyper aware of, are you okay? Can I do anything for you? Do you need support? What's happening? Do you want to work at home? Do you want to work at an office? Do you have room at home? Do you have the tools you need to be able to succeed at home? Can you travel on public transit? There's so many things that people are struggling with. And I think being hyper aware of those things really matters. And then the next thing is the second word that came to my mind is flexibility. That another thing leaders probably haven't demonstrated enough of in the past is this notion of being flexible, of allowing people to work as and when and where they need to in order to be successful. And that requires a give and take because many of us have businesses that have office space and rent that we have to deal with, etc. So how do you manage all of these things without putting the business out of business? So can you provide flexible times and days? Can you give people optionality in terms of the you know, days they're in the office and the days they're not? Can you be flexible in terms of their time that they're in the office? So these are things that we have to consider as leaders to be able to help people's mental health be strong through all this. And, and then I guess maybe the final point on that is checking in with the team and regular communication. Again, you know, I'd say we were all moving so fast prior to the pandemic that potentially we weren't talking to our teams as much as we should have been and needed to. And, and now that we have an opportunity to do so, we should be making sure that we have regular touch points with them as a group and as a team and that we're including them in the decision process and letting them know what's happening and working with them as opposed to directing them. You know, like leadership right now is a very different thing. And 
people need leaders to stand up and step out and make sure that they're strong, but they also need leaders that are vulnerable and committed to communicating and committed to being there with their teams. And so this is a different type of leadership that we haven't seen or needed before. Yeah, it's not like they're mutually exclusive. All of these things can be manifested in in one leader. And I think that's something that just needs to be encouraged and is obviously highlighted in need for more leaders that are able to showcase those values and those traits. Do you think, have you seen the stigma around talking to a therapist, mental health services? Have you seen any changes in the conversation or any stigma around that, especially in the business community? Yeah, I, I don't know that I have enough insight into, you know, whether the stigma has changed. I sure hope it has. I know one of the things we do is we regularly remind people to access our wellness programs to make sure like we all have health benefits or many companies have health benefits that offer mental health counseling payments, right? If you need to go and see, seek some help that the payments are covered for it. So I sure hope that companies are encouraging their teams to access the health care that's provided. I, I sure hope that there is no stigma attached to it because there shouldn't be. We all can suffer and, and all have at some point in our lives suffered from, you know, whether it's anxiety or depression or fear or bereavement or whatever, you know, the grief that we're all feeling because we've lost the life that we all had. And now, you know, we're, we're dealing with a grief uh, sense of overwhelming grief about what was and what isn't now. All of us are dealing with that. And so to think that there's a stigma attached to mental health at work is it would be very unfortunate if that's the case. You're a dragon on Dragon's Den and have been on the show as an investor, you know, virtually since the beginning. And obviously you have your own experience being the spearhead for a district. At the end of the day, what do you think makes a great business, one that has longevity and also can survive in a cultural and business climate that demands more and more of companies? I think a great business starts with a great entrepreneur, a great leader who actually wants to build a business for the long term. So it's interesting you say about, you know, is it one that is there forever? I don't think forever. No, because I think industries come and go. But I do think when you start a business with the notion that you're trying to build something that's sustainable, and that is there for the long term, that the decisions you make are going to be more socially driven, are going to be more um, about the health and welfare of the people that work with you. And I think you're going to try and deliver a product or a service offering that can withstand the test of time and and not be just only as good as the last Google review you had. In other words, you want to get five stars all the time because 10 years from now, somebody's going to go back and see those reviews and it's going to be consistently good versus I don't care if it's bad reviews because I'm not going to be around next year. If you're only in it for making money, then I don't think that's what makes a good business. I think a good business is one that pivots changes with the time when it needs to, but holds on to its values and its core philosophies and principles and thinks about the legacy it leaves in its wake because every business does leave a legacy in its wake. Last question here. This is one that I usually end off all my interviews on. At the end of the day, what is your mission? What is your purpose? What you know drives you and you know has you waking up every day? What gives you purpose? Professionally, my singular purpose is to try and help the agricultural and health sectors in Canada and entrepreneurs in that space succeed. And that is why I've 
created my fund, District Ventures. It's why I created the Accelerator and District Ventures. It's why I have a marketing fund at District Ventures and a marketing company, sorry, at District Ventures. And it's why I have venture communications focused on it. I'm putting all my effort against helping support entrepreneurs in the food and health space to succeed. Because when we do that, I know Canada will succeed. I'm very much driven to helping our nation be successful economically, but also helping entrepreneurs be successful in terms of fulfilling their dreams and their visions in this country. It's, it's absolutely my purpose. I get up every day to do just that. How do I help an entrepreneur be successful in this space? And then personally, you know, I'm, my purpose hasn't changed. It's always going to be about making sure that I'm living my values and, and my family. That hasn't, uh, that hasn't, that hasn't altered. This is a moment of transformation that we're going through right now. And as you've heard, reinvention can manifest within an individual as well as entire industries and communities as we're bearing witness to now. So how can we create a semblance of stability when everything around us is undergoing such a radical change? The key is to reevaluate ourselves as leaders, to step out, as Arlene puts it, and remind ourselves to lead with our values, with empathy, compassion, and agility in a way that is sustainable in the big picture. A touch of optimism doesn't hurt either. Next week on Mission Critical, we speak with G-Adventure founder Bruce Poon Tip about what it means to travel with purpose and how the industry can get back on its feet. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. When you travel, you have that purpose to travel. When you come home, you have a greater respect for where you come from. You have a greater respect for your place in the universe when you kind of get an idea of how other people live in the world. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?